0: welcome back my name is brian and this is my from Hevel to eternity podcast so today i'm going to answer a question that i got about bible translations and then i'm going to continue a dialogue that i had roundtable style with stephen and chris and we're going to keep answering some questions and today we're going to focus more on bible translation type questions so if you all liked the last episode then the end of this episode will be more of that but first i'm going to answer a quick question So last week during Translations Week, I had actually gotten a two-part question about faithful translations or translations I had labeled as faithful and some rumors or some claims, some theories that they had had certain words removed from them. Was that true? And if so, what did we do with that? So the short answer to that question is not really. The translations didn't remove certain words or skip over words that are in ancient manuscripts. They just translate those ancient manuscripts' Hebrew and Greek words differently. For instance, the King James Bible has the phrase Holy Ghost in it just under a 100 times. So if you were to search just for the phrase Holy Ghost in the NIV translation, you would get zero search results. But the NIV doesn't ignore the Holy Ghost, it just translates those words as Holy Spirit. And if you search for the phrase Holy Spirit in the NIV translation, it shows up just under a hundred times, which is very similar to the King James Bible number. Technically, yes, the term Holy Ghost is not used, but to insinuate that those words were removed from the Bible translation is misleading. I think we can agree that the terms Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit are speaking of the same thing, the same person in the Holy Trinity. I've looked into the actual words used by the Nasbi, which says Holy Spirit also, and the KJV, which again uses the word Holy Ghost. And if you investigate the Greek words, you see Holy Spirit in the NASB is translated from the Greek word Hagios pneuma," the exact same Greek words that the King James translates to Holy Ghost. That's just one example of these so-called removed words. There are a lot of them, but when you're talking about the well-known translations that I have mentioned, King James, the New American Standard, the ESV, the Christian Standard, the NIV, and the NLT, they didn't arbitrarily remove certain words from the original texts. The second part is, are some popular translations missing verses? Was that done on purpose, and why? This one is easy. Yes, some of the newer translations have in fact either removed certain verses or made some verses a footnote. But they are few and far between. They do exist, but it's a very small percentage of the overall Bible. The reason for this is very simple. As better and older ancient manuscripts have been uncovered, it's apparent that these verses weren't in the original texts. For example, the manuscripts used for some of the first popular English translations only had a handful of manuscripts to go off of. As I mentioned in one of the last podcasts, We now have over 5,000 Greek New Testament scraps alone to go off of. Sometimes full verses were removed, and other times it was just parts of verses. A great example of part of a verse that is in some translations and is only a footnote in others is the end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. All translations agree that Matthew 13 starts and leads us not into temptation, but delivers us from evil, or the evil one. The ESV, the NIV, the NLT, the NASB, and the CSB all just stop there, though. The King James and the HCSB add a benediction. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Most of the best and earliest manuscripts we have today do not have this benediction added. It appears that as the Lord's Prayer became commonly recited in Christian circles, that this benediction was added verbally at first and then added to a few of the manuscripts we have, including the one that was originally used for the Authorized King James Version. The verses in question are taken off most modern translations due to the manuscript evidence that we have today, and none of them are foundational for Christian doctrine. If your Bible has them, that's fine. They're not going to change Christian doctrine on it. And if it doesn't, that's fine too. You're not losing the Bible. A lot of these accusations and conspiracy theories stem from this group that's a King James-only movement, which is a group of people that believe the authorized King James version King James version of 1611 is a perfect translation, and that it does not require any revisions. Some even believe that all translations that have been made since 1611 are corrupt translations. They are a very loud minority at times. I'll just make two comments, and then I'll move on and we'll get started with the round table again. The first is that almost every serious Bible scholar I'm aware of believes there is more than just one faithful translation. Some might argue you should only read a word-for-word translation, but very few scholars believe the King James translation is the only faithful one. Second is that we're still talking about a translation of the originals. The original texts were written in their original languages by men inspired by the Holy Spirit. To believe that any one English translation is perfect and authoritative has some major loopholes. To say something is the best, you have to assume you know what's best, a pretty bold proclamation from any Christian. It also assumes that this English translation is the best. So what do you do with these translations in other languages? The Bible is clear that people from every tribe, nation, and tongue are going to worship Jesus, and I wholly endorse the work being done now by scholars to translate the Bible into languages that don't already have it you can trust men to translate it into other languages today, why can't you trust men with English? And if someone doesn't think the Bible should be translated into other languages, then I would encourage a re-reading of Matthew 24, verse 14. This good news of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world for a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Or Revelation 7, 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no man could number, out of every nation and of all tribes, peoples, and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb dressed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. The point of me answering this question isn't to shame certain people to read certain translations or to encourage reading only other translations. The primary thing I wanna do here and the primary thing that we're gonna try to do when we cover the round table in a couple minutes is to reiterate that there are multiple faithful bible translations out there. And if you have a translation like the King James or you have a translation like the New American or you have a translation like the ESVC, SB, NIV, NLT or there are a number of other ones out there. Be encouraged and trust what you're reading. Know that picking up the Bible and reading out of the Bible out of one of these translations is something that you can grasp hold of and it's more important to open the Bible and try to read through it than to try to pridefully stand on a hill over specific translations or specific word phrases. I want to encourage you to open God's word, to trust God's word, and to know that what you're reading in God's word is true and faithful and from God. rejoined by Stephen and Chris again. Hey, fellas.
1: Howdy. Hey.
0: So the first question I have is, what translations do you all currently read?
1: I tend to jump back and forth between um, my probably my primary one is ESV, um, but there are pretty often occasions where I want to get a little more clarity on what something probably actually means, and so I'll um, usually look over like uh, NLV? Like, no, NLT. NLV, NLT, yeah, NLT. Um, I'll flip over, because that's that one is just usually just like very readable, so I'll usually look at that to confirm. Like, am I interpreting that right? Uh, so that's that's kind of what I'm using right at the moment.
2: I jump back and forth uh, between the um, New American Standard HCSB, which I think is Holman Christian Standard Bible.
1: Right.
2: Too many acronyms.
1: Mm, right.
2: So.
0: It's even more confusing now because the HCSB, thinking about the new revision, is just the CSB.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. But I find that those two have really been easy for me to kind of um, understand. Growing up, I really read the NIV a lot. So.
0: Yeah, I am a big advocate of flipping back and forth between multiple translations. And it's really easy to do in a day of having the Bible on your phone. Like, I, I like having just a paper Bible and flipping pages and that practice, but... Usually I'm just reading whatever translation I have in front of me and then I have my phone app up to switch to a different translation really easy because it's really good to go from something that's more word for word like the ESV or the NASB or the King James and go to an NIV or an NLT or the CSB and get a little clarity when something reads a little funny because sometimes ancient syntax is in a weird order. So you mentioned that you haven't always read NASB. You read NIV a lot growing up. You read... Mm
1: I did read an IV, and then I had a New King James Version Bible for a while when I was younger.
0: You might remember this when when Sarah and I first started coming to our small group for the first time. The only Bible that I had at the time was like an 1850 King James New Testament and Psalms books, now. and yeah, like the the backing was breaking, and it was very hard to read, especially for somebody who had never really read mm-hmm. the Bible. So I. I may go overboard now when I read literally four to six different translations or everything, but it's it's been eye-opening to discover how many other faithful translations there are out there that are still good to read. Do you, any of you read commentary?
2: I, mean, I have. There's commentary within my... I have a study Bible, and there's a lot of commentary okay. in that. So I guess, yes. Okay. Um, I don't have a specific commentary Bible, though.
1: Okay. So I have the ESV study Bible... So I do look at those notes some, um, and then I also have the, the Wiersbe Bible Commentary that I've been, I recently got a copy of that for New Testament, and I've been uh, looking at that some, and that's, that's had some interesting insights as well. So.
0: Like I said, I jump around a lot, and so sometimes cross-references aren't always the best thing for me to have available. So on my nightstand, I do have the John MacArthur Study Bible, and I do have the Ryrie Study Bible. But my primary paper Bible is just an ESV journaling Bible. It doesn't have cross-references. It doesn't have any commentary stuff. It literally just has a page of text and then a blank page. And so I can kind of data dump without getting lost in the world of rabbit holes and other commentary stuff. Otherwise, I just tend to get bogged down in the mud sometimes and not really make any progress with reading whole books. So I, I do endorse commentary Bibles and study Bibles. I think they can be great. But sometimes just like clearing your head and just letting God's word be God's word is beneficial too. So I I would recommend both, either one, or just kind of jumping back and forth depending on the need. If you're struggling to understand a passage, what sources do you go to?
1: So I'll go to commentaries. Um, Yeah, I guess commentaries is probably the primary thing. That that and just uh, close close friends. I'll go to you sometimes. I've gone to our friend Kyle sometimes. Uh, So... Oftentimes, that's honestly been the best resource is hashing it out with friends to try to, to figure out what's going on.
0: Yeah, I know I've called you a couple times mm-hmm. recently and been like, this is where I'm at with this, and this yeah. is where I'm going, this is how I'm interpreting. Am I crazy and, and pulling it yeah. this way? Like, especially because most good commentators all tend toward the same interpretation a lot of times, but you can get commentaries. or places where commentaries deviate on how they're pulling certain passages. And if you're struggling with something and then you read two or three so-called experts who are also struggling with something or read some experts who don't talk about a couple verses, like they just conveniently bypass those in their commentaries, it can get frustrating. So sometimes going like having conversations with real people is really helpful with that, especially when you're trying to Mm -hmm. build something without making sure you're deviating from a correct theology. Plus it's good sometimes because I've had people just say okay I think you're diving too far down the rabbit hole like you you need to come back up you need to get some air you need to refocus on the fact that the the passage is pointing you to Jesus and some of this other nuance it might be a fun little trail to go down but it's not it's not a foundational trail don't stress kind of thing and so real people will tell me that commentary bibles will not
2: yeah I think for me I, I lean, on, uh, lean on Haley for a lot of stuff my wife also um, her mother she's very into God's Word. Um, I look up to her in that. And I mean, she studies it really hard. And, and you know, a lot of times if I've had questions, she's helped me. And, and then another person in Haley's family is her grandfather. And he's read more books than years I've been alive. And I, there's been many times I haven't understood something. And I've gone to him on it. And, and he'll show me here's this translation, this translation, this translation. Here's this book about it. Just kind of helps me and guides me and makes me understand. And he and he doesn't try to, you know, always say this is the only way. You know, he's like, read this, and what's your opinion on it? And kind of helps me form my own opinion, and then leads me in the way that is actually factual. So.
1: Yeah. Sometimes I'll I'll seek out there's a a teaching or something from a, a well-known pastor that I respect and trust. Uh, I've done that with a few hard passages before where. You know it's, it's something that's maybe well known as a hard passage and you can oftentimes find whether it be a whole sermon or sometimes um, like I know one series I really like there's a it's called Ask John Piper and he just he does these like six it's like he does like six minute six to eight minute quick answer hey here's this hard question and he does his best to answer it faithfully and that little snippet of time and sometimes you know Those are helpful. You know, it's not saying that's an end-all, be-all, but it gives you some insight from some people who are well-respected and uh, really have spent a lot of time in God's Word. All
0: right, well, thank you guys for for joining me for a quick little Bible translation Q&A. Hopefully listeners found this helpful. Next week we'll go back to just me chatting through, and we'll probably start with the book of Matthew and go chapter by chapter through Matthew. So until next time, I love you guys.